Our good God, thank you that you are always with us. You are with us as we walk through the difficulties and joys of life, and you're with us now. Even in the midst of our churning thoughts and distracted minds and bodies, Holy Spirit, come to us and transform us, we pray. Amen. Well, when I was 14, I had a near-death experience. I was with a group of friends, doing silly teenage things as you do, and unknown to any of our parents, sorry, don't take any any hints, teenagers are almost teenagers in the room, Uh, unknown to any of our parents, we decided to go to a park area nearby uh, on Sydney Harbour. And of course, we headed straight for the cliffs next to the water and climbed over this high locked metal gate. From there, we edged along a track across the face of the cliff with a sheer drop on one side to the rocks and the sea below. Uh, We reached this nice little grassy area. And after sitting there for a while, we came back along the cliff face. And as I was shuffling along with my face to the cliff, part of the track gave way beneath my feet. My foot slipped and I had that terrible lurching feeling as my centre of gravity started to shift backwards away from the solid cliff face. It was a moment of complete disorientation and shock. Thankfully, I managed to grab a cleft in in the rock in front of me and regained my balance and my footing. But for a moment, when the ground fell away beneath me, I had nothing firm to stand on. I'm sure all of us have had that feeling of the ground beneath us falling away, maybe not literally, uh, but in other parts of life. Times when we feel like we're slipping because there's nothing firm to stand on. A formative experience for me was when I couldn't find a job as as a veterinarian immediately after finishing my studies. This is a while ago now. I'd been at uni for six years, I'd graduated with decent marks, but after finishing, I was unemployed for nine months. I emailed out my resume, went to interviews, volunteered at a bunch of vets, and still was receiving rejection after rejection. Of course, in the scheme of things, I was fine, but as a high-achieving 23-year-old, it was completely disorientating. The future I'd planned out was looking uncertain. I felt ashamed that I couldn't land a job while my peers were all employed. The firm ground of my degree, my abilities, my plans, everything I'd put my trust in, that ground had fallen away beneath me. And that's what life is like sometimes, isn't it? The best laid plans of mice and men often go awry, as Robert Burns said. We can plan, we can get by with hard work, and assume that we've got some sort of control over our lives. And then the ground that we think is firm beneath our feet can fall away, gradually or all at once. If you're a part of St John's Church family, I'm guessing many of us feel like our firm ground has fallen away to some extent in the last few weeks. There have been changes in leadership, Perhaps you've experienced some relationship strain and even breakdown. You might feel really uncertain about events that have happened and about what the future holds. You could also be experiencing instability in your employment, in your closest relationships, 
in your health or in your spiritual walk with God. All of us, without exception, face uncertainty in life. So how do we cope? Could you go to the next slide, please? What can we stand on when the ground seems to fall away beneath us? How can we stand when the ground falls away? Well, as we turn to Paul's letter to the Philippians, we see that God's people in the ancient Greek city of Philippi were also dealing with instability and uncertainty. Paul, their spiritual father, was in prison because of the gospel, and they suffered with him as they supported him from afar. There was disunity among some of the leaders in their church. There were people who would come from outside the church to distort the message of God's grace. And they were also dealing with just the normal anxieties of life. Paul writes to this church, a community that he cares deeply about, with these words in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. How can we stand when the ground falls away? My beloved brothers and sisters, my dear friends, stand firm in the Lord. Well, in a way, that could be the beginning and the end of my sermon. When the ground gives way, when we realise just how unsteady our lives are, as God's children, we can stand in Christ. Because of God's kindness and his compassion, he has rescued us from despair and death through Jesus' death on the cross. He offers us life and security. And when we accept his invitation, God's spirit fills us and assures us of his unconditional love for us. We can stand firm in Jesus, completely confident because we know we belong to God and we know how things will end. But I won't end there because Paul doesn't end there. He has a few more things to say about standing firm in the Lord. He says to the Philippians, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Well, in what way? Well, let me read the next couple of verses as we see how we can stand when the ground falls away. From verse 2, I, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the Book of Life. So Paul is speaking to a specific situation in the Philippian church, a situation that probably left the church feeling unsteady and uncertain. And while we can't know all the details, we can figure some things out. So Paul is talking to two women, Euodia and Syntyche, bit of a mouthful, uh, but they were probably leaders in the church and he tells them to reconcile. Now, Paul isn't naming these two women in order to shame them into repentance in front of the church. Rather, this is an appeal made in friendship. The Sorry about that. Uh, the letter to the Philippians, though, is full of signs of Paul's love and affection for them. Even from what we've just read so far, he calls them his brothers and sisters, his dear friends and tells them how much he loves and longs for them. So it's in this context of friendship that Paul calls these women to be reconciled. 
For some reason, these women had experienced a breakdown in their relationship, and so as their spiritual father, Paul tells them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, this is very similar to what Paul said two chapters earlier when he told the Philippians, to make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Because Yodia and Syntyche are co-workers in the gospel and their names are written in the book of life, because they're both saved by Jesus, Paul reminds them that their attitude should be the same as that of Jesus, who did not assert his own rights, but humbled himself for the sake of others, even to death on a cross. Life in community can be hard, sometimes especially in Christian community. We're a motley collection of people who don't necessarily have anything in common except Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. Just think of all the superficial ways that we divide people. There are those who prefer singing hymns at church and those who prefer more modern music. There are coffee drinkers and tea drinkers all those unique souls who don't drink either. There are early risers and those who don't go to bed before 2am. There are those who prefer AFL and those who prefer NRL. So of course there are going to be differences of opinion and practice among Christians, not to mention the presence of sin, which means that we can hurt each other. Our differences our brokenness can lead to disunity. And if we aren't standing in Christ, that means we're standing in our own strength. And so we have to fight for our rights to be recognised, for our voice to be heard. Of course, there is a place for justice, and our God cares passionately for those who have been oppressed and damaged by abuses of power. But that's not the situation in Philippians. Paul speaks to these two women who are equals in the church. He pleads with them to put aside their differences, their bruised pride, the record of wrongs they hold against each other, and to be united in the Lord Jesus. And he doesn't just tell them to get their act together and figure it out for themselves. He calls on his true companion to help these women. Obviously, someone close to Paul whom he trusted to provide guidance and mediation. Relationship breakdown is messy, and reconciliation doesn't come from just one person independently giving up all their rights and becoming a doormat. That doesn't bring unity, but rather further pain and resentment. True reconciliation involves both parties engaging in repentance, forgiveness, and healing. It's hard work, it hurts, and it often involves putting aside our own rights and thinking about the other person's interests first. I can't think of a better picture of the grace and patience that is required for reconciliation than that shown by Indigenous Australians. 
We can learn and be enriched by your wisdom. Unity is hard, but it's at least possible to bring about reconciliation when we stand in Christ, because he's the one who unites us. When the ground falls away, we can stand firm because our Lord unites us. Secondly, when the ground falls away, we can stand because our Lord is near. And one more to the next passage. And that's what Paul says in verses 4 to 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul is speaking to a church with internal division and facing opposition from outside the church. And what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. In the midst of their uncertainty, Paul invites them to rejoice. In the midst of our uncertainty, God invites us to rejoice. And as counterintuitive as it might seem, we can rejoice because our joy doesn't depend on ourselves or on our immediate circumstances, but on the reality that the Lord is near. Jesus, our Lord, is near. No matter what hardship we go through, Jesus is near in space. He lives in us by his spirit and he holds us close to himself. And no matter how endless our suffering might seem, Jesus is near in time. We have a certain hope that he's coming back soon to heal and restore the world. Only a few verses earlier, before the start of our passage, Paul reminded the Philippians of Jesus' imminent return. He said, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's this um, hashtag Hashtag on social media, if you don't understand hashtags, it's just a way of categorising posts that people post on social media. Uh, but there's this hashtag that was trending, or was very popular a little while ago, and it is, why my kid is crying. And basically, people would share photos of their toddlers crying with a caption, giving the reason for their tantrum. It's a little bit sad, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> so, why is my kid crying? Go to the next one. We wouldn't let him swim in the sea. He can't swim and it's six degrees. Why is my kid crying? Daddy touched my balloon. Why is my kid crying? I told her she couldn't go inside the dishwasher. Why is my kid crying? I wouldn't let him eat the cat's food. In reality, these children are loved and cared for by their parents but they're toddlers, they can be irrational. And so in the moment of the tantrum, they ignore their reality and can only focus on the frustration of their current circumstances. Of course, the difficulties and disappointments we face in life are usually more rational and more serious. But the idea is the same. When the ground gives way, we can stand firm in the reality that our Lord is near. He's near in space, and he's near in time. Because we're held close by him and we're waiting for his certain return, we can truly rejoice no matter our circumstances. 
And while joyfully standing firm in Christ takes place as an individual, it's also fundamentally a community activity. Paul is addressing a whole church when he tells them to rejoice always. With our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to rejoice together in Christ, in the salvation he has won for us and the future he secured. When we sing together, we can lift our voices with joy as we worship our Saviour and Lord together. As we greet one another with the, Lord, with the Lord's peace or chat after the service or keep in touch through the week, we can remind each other of what God has done for us, the joy that we share in Christ. And when we support each other in suffering, we can rejoice in Jesus' nearness and look forward to his return when he will heal all brokenness and hurt. How can we stand when the ground falls away? Well, we can stand because our Lord unites us and we can stand because our Lord is near. And then let me read the final two verses in our passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As Paul writes to a church bruised by internal division and intimidated by external opposition, he tells them, do not be anxious about anything. Instead, he encourages them to pray and follows this with the glorious promise that the peace of God, the wholeness that is part of who God is, this peace will guard their hearts and minds in Jesus. I don't suffer from medically diagnosed anxiety, but I've walked alongside a number of close friends who live with anxiety. According to Australian statistics, one in four people will experience anxiety in their lifetime. Google search rates for anxiety are up 150% in the last eight years, and searches for anxiety at night have risen ninefold. And I think my statistics are from 2020, so before the pandemic. But I have experienced anxiety about work, about the health of loved ones, about the future. Surely anxiety is a normal part of living in the world. And so as we read this passage, it begs the question, if we feel anxious sometimes, or our whole life is driven by anxiety, does that mean we're not standing firm in Christ? This is a command not to be anxious. So if we struggle with anxiety, then we must be disobeying God. However, these verses speak to us in our brokenness. Paul knew his dear friends were anxious. They were bombarded with division, persecution and hardship. God knows there are very real disappointments and fears that will make us anxious. Not to mention our bodies sometimes can cause us to experience extreme, constant anxiety. And so God gives us a promise for when we are anxious. We can come to him in prayer at any time and bring our requests, our concerns and our thanks to him. And in Christ, we will feel God's peace surrounding our hearts and our minds to protect us. When the ground gives way, we can stand firm because our Lord surrounds us.
even as we walk through the dark valleys of anxiety in this life, when the night seems too dark and the waves too high, we can pray to the Lord Jesus in our pain. We can groan and cry out to him who knows our hearts and protects our hearts. For you, taking hold of God's promise of peace might look like seeking or continuing to seek professional help. Constant life-altering anxiety is not a normal way to feel, and sometimes medication is an essential part of managing anxiety. And importantly, maybe especially for those who have anxiety, the peace that is promised as we stand in Christ is worked out in community like being united and rejoicing in Christ together, taking hold of the promise of God's peace happens together. And so we can give our anxieties over to God together. When you have an episode of severe anxiety and don't know if you can pray, your brothers and sisters in Christ can pray for you and with you in expectation that God's peace will surround you. You don't have to cope alone. As we care for each other in Christian community, we probably can't fix the situation or heal each other's wounds, but we can lead each other back to Christ and we can pray confidently to the God of peace. How can we stand when the ground beneath us falls away? We can stand because our Lord unites us and so reconciliation is possible. We can stand because our Lord is near a reality which helps us to rejoice when life is hard. And we can stand because our Lord surrounds us with his peace, even in the midst of anxiety. God isn't giving us a to-do list or telling us how we failed. God is inviting us to believe his promises, to take him at his word. Jesus unites us. He is near and he surrounds us. And so in his mercy, we can stand firm together, even when the ground gives way. Well, this next hymn is a prayer to God that he would be our vision and our light. And if you don't feel like the words of this hymn are true for you, be assured that your brothers and sisters in Christ are praying this with you and for you. So let's stand and sing together as God's people, Be Thou My Vision. Thank you. 